themselves with all nations. And in the midst of one of the most desperate economic times, the Great Depression, Franklin Delano Roosevelt says, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreats into advance. In every dark hour of our national life, a leadership of frankness and vigor has met that understanding and support of the people themselves, which is essential. And John F. Kennedy, in the midst of racial and challenges, probably one of the most well-known inaugural speeches. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Inaugural speeches set a tone for the president's term, set a tone and lay out the, the dreams and visions and goals of that president. And this morning, we look at Jesus in Luke chapter 4 in what may be called his inaugural speech, in which he will lay out the dreams and the vision and the goals and the challenges that he has for his, if we can say, term of office. Appreciate so much Melvin and Kendra sharing at the communion. Surrender it all. He obviously surrendered to the point of giving his very life, but we will see even today, he, he was surrendered to the plan of God from the very beginning. And as we, we heard about and, and, and studied last week, he surrendered to the fact that the plan and will of God through the Spirit would lead him into a temptation. Satan himself. But he was surrendered to God's will. He was surrendered to make sure that that we would have a righteous sacrifice, that we could be set free, that we could be victorious in our temptations in the deserts of our lives. Let's read Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit again that drove him into the desert to be tempted, and he's victorious. And you can imagine now how he is feeling as he is returning in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Remember the boy Jesus? Intrigued and excited to learn about God. Growing up in this town of Nazareth. I'm sure he would have continued with that same excitement and vigor. And he would have been known as someone who just loved God and loved the scriptures. So on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, eyes of everyone in the synagogue. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mm. And all spelt well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Then he said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do hear 
in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any one of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now that is quite an inaugural address. I don't think any president would have wanted to have an, a, to, a speech and then have the crowd try to, to, to drive him out of the city and throw him off the, off the cliff. Well, this is an amazing, amazing speech that Jesus gives. And it does set the tone. Let's pray as we begin to dive in here. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and his surrendering completely to all the, the will that you had for him. Help us as we look this morning to, to surrender our lives, to, to realize that this, this Jesus who proclaims good news, that we have benefited from that, that we have in fact been set free, we have been prisoners, we have been blind, we have been released. Thank you so much. Help us to understand that it is now our charge, our message to, to, to have great faith, to, to be the ones who proclaim this good news to the world around us. But Father, help nothing to get in our lives. No doubt, no, no, nothing in our backgrounds to, to help to, that, that clog, clouds the issues that we need to deal with. Father, be with us over this next few minutes. Open our eyes, open our hearts again to be and, and to do what you want us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. You know, I'm inspired, I'm, I'm convicted as I look at this passage. There's a few things that I want to uh, highlight here this morning as, as we look at this uh, an amazing beginning of Jesus and his ministry. Number first point, is Jesus' heart my heart? You know, one of the things you've got to remember about Jesus is up until this time in his life, he carried on a full-time job. We don't read of anything between the time that he appeared at the temple and 12 years old, and, and, and he's, he's talking with the teachers and elders, and they're all amazed at what he's doing. And then he goes home with his parents and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And that's, that's all that we have of Jesus between then and now. But Jesus did take on and he worked in, in the family business, so to speak. But we can assume, and I believe rightly so, that Jesus would have continued to study the scriptures. He would have been continued to do to try to absorb and understand and, and be consumed with what, what God's plans were for his life and, and, and to, to know God's word and how it would be applied in his life. And so he would gather, much like other men who, who wanted and were consumed with knowing God and, and knowing God's word, he would, they would gather in the evening after work and they would have discussions about the Torah and the, and the, and the Mishnah much like some of the guys do on Friday mornings as they get together and discuss God's word and, and try to, to wrestle with scriptures and try to apply them to their lives. This was the, the setting in which Jesus grew up. 
because it says it was his custom. You know, Jesus was a man of the word. He loved it. He studied it. He knew it, not just intellectually, but he wanted it to be practical and real in his life. He chewed on it enough to make it a part of his heart, all of it. And so as Jesus is given the, the book of Isaiah, he knows what he is about to read. He knows what he has been called to do. He knows what the Messiah really is all about. And as he picks up this, and is given the scroll, and he knows he is going to read from Isaiah chapter 62, he also understands in the back of his mind and from reading the scriptures in Isaiah 58 and 59 how God has challenged Israel on the fact that they did not have a real religion. They didn't understand what a relationship with God and real religion was all about. They didn't understand what sacrifice was all about. They didn't understand that, as Isaiah 59 says, that their sin had separated them from God. That although they could, quote, go to church, God wasn't listening anymore. And as Isaiah 60 begins, there is new hope. There is, there is a light that is going to, going to come. And this light, this arise, shine, for the light has come. And Jesus knows that this light, this glory is, in fact, himself. He knew the scriptures. He knew he was the light. And so he preaches and he, he shares this passage of scripture about himself. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. The word anointed is Christ, the anointed one. I, in fact, am he. Now, you got to keep in mind a little bit of the background, especially of the Galileans. They were fiercely nationalistic. The area was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And so, again, those Jews living in that area would study a lot about the Messiah. And they had this understanding that the Messiah would come and once again, we've, we've talked about this already, he would once again come and he would establish uh, Israel to be this great kingdom, much like David. And, he, and, and, and this, this Messiah would boot out all of, the, all of the Gentiles and Israel would be pure again. And this is the context with which Jesus gets up and he shares this passage. Now, whether or not he is purposeful and does not read the rest of Isaiah chapter 62 or 61, this is what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, and that's what we read here. But this is where he, he doesn't read the rest of it. It says, aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will feed on the wealth of nations and their riches you will boast. He didn't read that. They were waiting for it. They were anticipating it. They were longing that, that, that okay, you're setting us up, Jesus. We're, we're, waiting, for this, we're waiting for this time that, that, that you're going to come and, and, and this Messiah is going to kick out all of the Gentiles and, and this is what we're going to get. But Jesus doesn't, he doesn't read that. He doesn't preach that. But what does he do? He gets to the real reason why he has come. And we have heard and we have read already Luke is trying to establish that Jesus 
And his message is going to be for all peoples. It was announced by the angels. The salvation would not just be for the Jews. It would be for all of the people. So you can imagine now this Jesus who comes into a, a, a synagogue who is known by the, the, the city, the village, and begins to say, I am anointed. And then he leaves off one of the greatest anticipations that they, 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 would, they would have. You wonder why they were furious. You wonder why they were angry. They had a different thing in mind. You know, and I think to myself, how often do I have different things in mind about God's plan? <laughs> Jesus knows his Bible. He knows his audience. And he wants to bring God's word to their hearts. What's the Messiah's task? To preach good news to the poor. But who are the poor? Are the poor economically poor? Jesus would talk about the poor. In Isaiah 66, God talks about the poor, but this is the man whom I look, he that is poor and contrite in spirit and trembles my word. The poor are those that are humble. The poor are those that are receptive. The poor are those that tremble at God's words. And the Jews in their day no longer trembled at God's word. They had in their minds how God was going to work. They had in their minds what this Messiah was going to do. And, and God had different plans. Jesus had different plans. And his word has different plans. And I ask again myself or yourselves, do, do, do you have plans that you think God is going to accomplish? Or do you use God's word to establish the plans in your life? Do you have Jesus's heart for the scriptures? Are you diligent? Do you study? Do you know it? Do you memorize it? Do you journal it? Do you internalize it? We're starting a focus on God's words. How's it going? If we had good news sharing, if we had people stand up right now and say, how has your, how is your personal Bible study and, and your reading plan or, or whatever it is, how is it going? Would, would we have people uh, stand up with excitement and, and zeal and enthusiasm and say, this, this has been amazing. These are the insights. These are the, these are the things I'm seeing. This is what I'm changing in my life. This is what I'm going after as a result of God's word. Do we still tremble at God's words? Mm. Are you on track? Are you poor in heart? How, how do I, how will I preach God's word this, this, this year? How will I teach God's word this year? How will you use it to disciple one another this year? How will you use it to, to reach out to the lost this year? Your Bible talk leader, how will you use it to, to inspire and move and convict and help people grow in their relationship with God? Jesus knew the word. And he, when he stood up and he was given the scroll, he knew that God's word would accomplish what God wanted it to accomplish. And as a preacher, sometimes it can be easy to get caught up and let me get an illustration that will, will show what we need to do. This is what I need to do. This is what we need to preach. This is what we need to share. This is what's going to cut. This is what's going to convict. This is what's going to move us. Jesus understood that. We don't read of him saying anything else. He just, he just shares God's word. And what does it do? It brings about 
Not necessarily what God wanted her to do, but it brought, it, 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 well, it does. It did bring what God wanted to do because he wanted to sift the hearts. How will I preach? How will I teach? What impact will my life have as a result of me digging into God's words? Secondly, is Jesus's message, and this ties it in, is Jesus' message my message? Armed with the conviction that he has from the scriptures, Jesus begins to impact all of the listeners' hearts with intentional and purposeful use of these scriptures. And here's the thing, an uncompromising stand on it. He rocks their world. Because he had an uncompromising stand on God's word, he had an uncompromising message. He wouldn't be shaped by society. He wouldn't be shaped by culture. He wouldn't be shaped by the village's thinking of himself or anyone else. He would allow God to shape him. He would allow God's word to shape him. And his message was according to that. God's word changed him. God's spirit was guiding him. God's spirit wants to bring about the same conviction in you and me. God doesn't want us to simply feel good about ourselves. Jesus wasn't there to, to, to help the people, the Jewish people, to feel good about themselves and to say, you know what, just, just hang in there, guys. Just hang in there. You're, you're good people. He was there to cut to their hearts. And he realized that this was his chance and perhaps his only chance to get to the people of his hometown. And he took it. And they were offended. Again, his message was good news to the poor. But they weren't poor. They thought they had God's knowledge. They thought they had God's word. They had preconceived ideas as to what that would involve and what this Messiah would be. They weren't poor because they didn't tremble at God's word anymore. They weren't free as from the, the prisons of their lives. They were still enslaved by what they thought this Messiah would do. God doesn't want religion. He doesn't want meaningless things that we do that don't capture our heart and bring us to God. He doesn't want worship that is meaningless. He doesn't want S Sunday church that is meaningless. He wants to move us all of the time. He wants us to leave here this morning different than when you came in. His spirit has a purpose in your life. His message has a meaning in your life. And God forbid that we come and go and it does not bring about change in our life. They were still blind. But those were all the things that God had wanted them to, to, to be, to have changes in, to have sight, to feel set free. To, to no longer be prisoners of their thinking or their sin or, or whatever it is. And he wants the same for us. He wants us, he wants to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee every seven years. Slaves would be released, debts canceled, prisoners set free. That's what God wants for them and for others. But they didn't want that. They certainly didn't want the Gentiles set free. They wanted them to serve themselves. Jesus knew their struggle. Joseph's son, they... The other Gospels tell us that Jesus couldn't do any miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. Jesus quotes the parable, physician, heal yourself. Prove to us, Messiah, if you're really this, this Messiah, prove to us. Do the, do the things that you did in Capernaum. And his message 
is just like the Jews listening to the prophets of old, of Elijah and Elisha. God was trying to get their attention, but he couldn't get through. You have a prophet in your life. I am a prophet in your life today, but you will not listen. And so Jesus uses the example of a widow and, a, and Naaman to convict his hometown on their lack of faith and to say they are no different, no different from people in 800 BC. What about me and you? When you pick up God's word, again, when I preach, when I enter a Bible study or anything like that, what, what, what do I want to see God do? Is it my goal as God's goal to make a difference every time I open it? Every time. Well, we can't, no, every time. When I sit down in the morning, I have my coffee and I open God's words. Will I pray, God, please help it to penetrate my heart this morning. Help it to change me. Help me to see the message you have for me. When I sit down and study the Bible with someone who's not yet a Christian, do I say, please, God, help your word penetrate their hearts. Help them to change. Help them to see God's words. Or do I simply just wing it? And I know the, the, the passages of Scripture that, that if we're looking at the, the, the word of God, and I know all of the passage that will do that. But do I share it with conviction? Are people changed? Are they moved by the way I study the Bible? Is my message different? Jesus rocks their world. And he deliberately uses these examples to rock their world. And how powerfully do I use God's word? Does it bring about conviction? Does it bring about change? Do I, do I comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable? It's convicting. A lot of us in the back of our minds like to be liked. And I'm not saying to be angry just to be kind of ornery and angry at people. But a lot of us, that's not our nature. A lot of us are nice. When we sit down and counsel someone who's in sin, I want to be compassionate. I want to hear and I want to attempt to understand what, what, what is going on in their life. And I don't want to be heartless. But God wants me and wants to use me, wants to use you to make sure that that sin is changed, that sin is repented of, that people don't stay where they're at. And that may mean that I have a message that is not comfortable. That may mean that I have a message that may hurt. That may mean that I have a message that you may get mad at, you may get furious at. But it is God's message. And if I want to change, I value that in my life. I don't, I don't like it at the time, but I value men who will lay it out and tell me what I need to do to change. And lastly, is their faith my faith? The examples of Elijah and Elisha, very purposeful to Jesus in using these examples. Israel had rejected Israel's prophets just as they were rejecting him in his hometown. The message Jesus wants to get us to see is that I'm looking for people, a widow, a woman outside of Israel's borders, a Gentile commander from Damascus. I'm looking for people of faith. And if I have to go outside of Israel, I will. My message is for everyone and anyone who will have faith. That is what Jesus is saying. Elijah. And the widow, 1 Kings 17, around the time 800 BC, 
Israel is kind of a mess as they are being wooed by the, by the nations and, 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 and following the gods of, of the peoples around them. And Ahab is their king at this time. Ahab, it says, did more evil than any of the other kings before him. That's not a good, no one would want that on their resume. And so God, through Elijah, says, I want you to, I want you to get a point here. So we're going to have a famine for three and a half years or until I at least say that that famine is ended. And so there's a famine in the land. And Elijah goes off and he's fed, fed by, by God. And finally this, this stream dries up. And Elijah is told to go to this widow, again, outside of the, uh, the borders of Israel. This widow is gathering wood. And as Elijah approaches her, she's gathering wood so that she can bake the last loaf of bread. She has a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and she's going to bake this last, lap of, la last loaf of bread and give it to her son so that they may die. That's, that's the setting. Elijah appears on the scene and says, give me the loaf of bread. And he tells her that God will provide, that the flour will not run out, the oil will not dry up, but he still says, Give me the loaf of bread. Now think about that for a second. You're desperate. You don't know who this guy is. He appears to you and tells you to give the last loaf of bread. Now he says it's not going to, it's not going to, to run dry. But do you really believe him? What, why would you believe him? And it's interesting. We know a little bit about the, 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 the culture and, and the people of that day. They absolutely believed that the, the gods that they worshipped were confined to geographical areas. And so Elijah was coming to her outside of Israel's borders. So to her, even though he said, God will provide, to her, you're in Baal's territory. That, that, that is the god of, of the, the, the area that she, she lived. You're in Baal's territory now. How can God work? So it is absolutely astounding when we think about it that this woman trusted Elijah and mostly trusted God and had faith in God that he would provide. And she does. And the story is the flour doesn't run out and the oil doesn't dry up. Spiritual dilemma for her, but she believes. Challenging dilemma, but she has faith. Radical faith saves her, sustains her, and she lives as a result. Elisha and Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5. Elisha is a disciple of Elijah, took over as prophet of Israel. Naaman is the commander-in-chief of the army of Syria. Powerful influential, dangerous. You didn't want to cross him. You treat him with respect. But he had leprosy. And you can imagine that as, as, as the, the, the leader of the army. But he's told, you know, go to Israel, go, on, go to one of the prophets, and he will heal you. So here he goes. He, he goes off, and he, and he has enough 
kind of faith to at least do that. He goes off and, and he appears at, at, at Elijah's door. Whether he knocks on it or not, I, I don't know. But he, he, he knocks on the door. Let's just go with the illustration. He knocks on the door. And you would think, okay, he, he's expecting Elisha to appear at the door. Elisha says to his servant, hey, go tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan River. You're the commander-in-chief of the army. You at least want the prophet to show up at the door and tell you what to do. And he goes off in a rage. He's insulted. It's outrageous. How dare he, he, he do this? Filthy, stinking Jordan River. At least he could have come to the door and waved his hand and, and, and I would have been healed. I would have accepted. Or he could, or he could have told me to, to wash in the, in, the, in the other rivers flowing down from, from the mountains that were, that were clean and pure and crisp. And, and surely that's, that's, the, that's the river that would clean me of my leprosy. Not this stinking, dirty Jordan River. He has a dilemma. He has in his mind a thinking of how God should work or how he should be healed or how this prophet should, should treat him. Some of his servants get the boldness to say, you know, if, if the prophet had told you to do some amazing and great thing, you would have done it. He gets convicted. I appreciate the servants for speaking up and saying, hey, listen, uh, can, hey, can I speak to your heart for a second? You know, permission to speak? <laughs> you know, I think God has a plan for your life, but you're, you're, you're just you're refusing to see it. So when he does wash in the Jordan, guess what happens? Completely, completely cleansed. And he exclaims, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Jesus is showing that he, he will in fact go outside the borders to find people with faith. Neither the widow or Naaman were God's people, and yet they're part of God's plan. Both were confronted with very, very difficult that they thought God couldn't work, but they chose to have faith instead of seeing all of the reasons why God could work or how he should work differently. These are the stories that Jesus was looking for in his hometown. These are the stories that Jesus is looking for in Virginia Beach and Norfolk in our area. These are the stories that God wants to use. Mm. I can't possibly... But with faith, I will do something. I, I, I don't know how God can change, but with faith, I will believe he can change. And he will change my life. Stories of new Christians. Mark Cagle became a disciple just a little while ago. Bill showed me a text, it's, and, and, you know, it's, he just he shares with any and everyone, and, and, and just, why? Because God has changed his life. God has brought forgiveness into his life, and, and, and he goes, I, I've got to share it. I, I don't know if it was, it was at work or something, he had Hampton Roads Day or something, he, he was just sharing with everyone, you know, it just, it's so inspiring. That's, that's what a person of faith does. God, I'm so grateful, just, just use me, take me, I surrender, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. Why? Because you have done so much. You have healed me of leprosy. You, you have sustained me. My, my oil and my bread don't run out. Thank you. I, I will share examples of faith. Stories of, of, of people restored. Cole Johnson, Mike and Shannon Menninger. When we fall away to come back, 
can be challenging. Why? Because we face the pride in our hearts to, to go, I, I, what will people think of me? Yes, I, 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 I gave into sin or I gave into whatever, and, and, and what will people think of me? The people that I just mentioned say, I, I, I don't care. I, I'm like Naaman. I, I, I have leprosy. I have a chance to be healed. So, so I will, with faith, come back. I, I will do whatever it takes. Not stay in leprosy because of pride. That's, that's foolish. Well, let, let's, let's take it personal. Why stay in sin? Why stay in your own personal leprosy, even if you haven't fallen away because of pride? That's foolish. Why not deal with our hearts? Why not allow God to change us? That's what he wants to do, but it will take faith. People studying the Bible, remember studying with Jose, had to make a, a, a big decision in his life of what to do. It took faith to believe that God could work through the situation. Others who are studying the Bible, there, there are big decisions that you may have to face. All of us have them. All of us had one. In a, in, when we studied the Bible, I, there are things, there are costs, there, there are things that I look at and go, this is difficult. It could be family, it could be personal sin, it could be whatever. This is challenging. And God goes, yes, it is. But guess what? I've got the power. I, I, I've, got the, I've got the resources to help you change. I, the Lord, has anointed me to, to preach good news. This is good news. To release you, to, give, to release you from blindness, to proclaim freedom. What about you and I? Will we step out in faith? Will we do the radical? Will our faith cause us to stir up, yes, even the religious, the people at, at work, the people in our neighborhoods? We may make a few people mad, furious. Jesus was not interested in numbers. And what I mean by that, he was not interested in just having people kind of come and, and just be with him and, and, and to show that God's work was so amazing just by the amount of people that were around. He wanted to get to the heart. He wanted to make sure people were going in the direction God wanted them to have. Is the Spirit of the Lord on you? We start 2014. What is your inaugural address going to be? What is your inaugural life going? Do I have Jesus' heart, his love for God's word? Do I tremble before it? Do I preach his message? When I open the scriptures, Will it bring about change as, as I open God's word with people? And do I have faith that goes against what is expected, what is normal? What will the Spirit of the Lord do in your life this week, this year, and in the years to come? Amen?